This is our series, Desecrated, The Faces of Sin. In this series, we will examine the perverse and pervasive nature of sin as we explore specific Old Testament narratives. We will see the many faces of sin and not just view sin in a one-dimensional way, but see its multifaceted nature. Today's scripture reading is Jonah 2, 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Shoal. You heard my voice. When you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundation of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. How y'all doing today? Good, because we're about to talk about sin, so I hope hope y'all feeling all right. Uh, My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm continuing our desecrated series today um, with sin as self-righteousness. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, we desperately need you. God, would you reveal to us our sin, but also reveal to us your grace and your love? Will you speak to us right now? We trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. And I commanded the boy, you may eat from every snack in the house. The Doritos, the Oreos, animal crackers. But the snack of the bag of the Starburst jelly beans, of these you may not eat. And if you do, and you experience the sweet, awesome, delicious, artificial flavoring, (laughs) it will be the last thing you ever taste. (laughs) And this sweet five-year-old boy would never steal from his dad, right? (laughs) That's how they get you, right? Stealing from his dad would be silly because if he had just asked, I would have given him real fruit. Without the yellow five, red 40, yellow six, blue one, and titanium dioxide. (laughs) Now, back in the day, I I was the sneaky kid. My exterior didn't show it, though. If it was me in this situation, I'd probably say something like, no, daddy, I... I would never steal from you, at least not in a way that you would notice. 
right? I learned from a very young age that if, you, if you're dealing with something like, like starburst jelly beans, what you do is you just take one at a time and they will never notice that you are stealing from them, okay? I would never steal from you in a way that you would notice. Now, I hope my son won't take after me in this way, but we are all much like our parents, the ones from the garden, because they stole from daddy. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where they learned to judge for themselves not only what was good and what was evil, but who was righteous and who was not And we were all set on this path to be Judge Judy's and Judge Joe Brown's, unsure if we are real judges or if we just play one on TV. And still, as horrible judges, we always rule in our favor. And this is the plague of self-righteousness. We see it when we log on to social media and we shake our heads at just how wrong people are. We see it when we hold on to bitterness and refuse to forgive. It says, yeah, I I know grace brings you glory, but I I, I turned out pretty good. I, I played a part in this too, right? It says, we know God receives glory from showing his grace to the worst of sinners, but look at them. Did you see what they did? Do you know what they believe? Self-righteousness is the idea that our actions and dispositions have earned us superiority over others because we can't see the severity of our own sin or the pervasiveness of God's grace. If we deny the power and propagation of God's grace, then we hijack his glory. Glory that belongs to him, and yet we take it while looking at him with a smile on our face. And we don't realize that if we had just asked he would have given us this very same glory that we seek to take from him. We are the sneaky kids. Our exteriors don't show it, though. We say, no, Daddy, I I will never steal from you, at least not in a way where we think you'd notice. Our self-righteousness steals glory from God because self-righteousness is an enemy of grace. It's an enemy of grace in three ways. It abandons grace, it discredits grace, and it withholds grace. And if we found ourselves in a posture of self-righteousness, and self-righteousness is an enemy of grace, then what does that mean for us? Don't we need grace to persevere? We are at war with the very thing that is needed to save us. We can't shake this sin of self-righteousness, the evil that I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. God, I need you to come through. And the question for today is, will grace win? I want to unpack this today as we look at the prophet Jonah. He is not a model prophet. In fact, today he's going to be our model of self-righteousness. And if everything you know about Jonah comes from VeggieTales, it's okay. You are not alone, but just know that uh, Bob the Tomato took some creative liberties. (laughs) Like somehow reading the Bible without arms, just just reading the Bible. (laughs) But we will look at this book and we want to see evidence of self-righteousness 
as well as evidence of grace. And we want to see these two things fighting against one another. And it's like, man, will grace win out in the end? First point, self-righteousness abandons grace. Starting in chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. God specifically commanded Jonah to go east to Nineveh to speak judgment. These Ninevites, they were violent people. They reigned terror over Israel in separate stints for more than 270 years combined. They skinned people alive. They paraded heads around on poles. They sacrificed children. Are these people worthy of grace? And that's what Jonah is thinking. But instead of obeying God, Jonah got up and he fled to Tarshish. He didn't even respond to God. He didn't tell him no or nothing. He just straight up left God on red with his read receipts on. (laughs) And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. See, he was asked to go east to Nineveh, but instead he fled as far west as he could go. The Children's Storybook Bible captures it best. It says, one ticket to not Nineveh, please. (laughs) And at this point in the story, we don't know why he runs. We just know that, that he does. But here he is in foolish and utter rebellion against God. And while his his rebellion is blatant, sometimes our rebellion is is quite subtle. A little half-truth here, a little porn there, a glance that lingers just a little bit too long, a little foul language when I'm around my close friends. We are like Jonah as well. So Jonah gets on this ship with some sailors And then God sends a great wind, a great storm, and it says that the ship is threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. These people, they were idolaters. They cried out to their own God. They threw the ship's cargo over over in the sea to lighten the load. And meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and had fallen into a deep sleep. God sends judgment on this ship But Jonah is in a deep sleep. He got up to flee from God. He went down to Joppa, down into the ship, down to the lowest part of the vessel, and had fallen into a deep sleep. Just a little rebellion, and he has spiraled so low that he can't even sense God's judgment. It says he's stretched out. He got comfortable. He is resting because he is content in rebellion. He is settled in with his sin. Self-righteousness prevents us from understanding the depths of our sin. We don't know just how depraved we are or how far we have fallen until we can no longer sense conviction. Jonah was a good Jew and a prophet. How could he abandon grace? And that's the thing. We can abandon grace because we are good. We don't need it. Do y'all remember those old uh, Febreze commercials about being nose blind? It's like, 
Jimmy has gotten used to his old sweaty stocks. Yep, he's gone nose blind. And I started thinking about this recently, and I'm like, man, being nose blind is like the scariest thing ever. Like, what if I just smell like garbage and, and I don't know it, but everybody else does, right? It's like, yep, Jason's gone nose blind, right? And, and I started thinking, man, our sin is like that old sweaty sock. We, we get used to having it around. And to the point where we start to decay, but we don't realize it. But everybody notices it but us. Yep, we've gone nose blind. We should watch our hearts, be sensitive to our sin so that we don't abandon grace in the process. If self-righteousness abandons grace, how will grace win in the end? The sailors woke him up. They told him to call out to his God. He didn't do that, by the way. Then they cast lots, and they figured out that he was to blame. And so they asked him who he was. And this brings us to our second point. Self-righteousness discredits grace. He answers them, and he says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. And if I was on a ship that was breaking apart, and I tell this man to call out to his God, and then I find out that his God is the one who made the sea, I'm going to be upset. Like, bro, you weren't going to say anything? You're just going to sleep while we about to die over here? They asked him to st- how to stop the seas, and all he had to do was call on God and receive grace, but he had abandoned it. Grace was right at his fingertips, but he didn't value it. Humility isn't a part of the self-righteousness personality profile. And he says, throw me overboard. And so they they don't really want to, they're, they're reluctant, but eventually they do. And then these idolaters call out to God. And they say, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. And don't charge us with innocent blood, for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. They picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These sailors who were just worshiping God, worshiping their other gods, they recognize their brokenness and they plead for God's mercy because they value grace. They were seized with great fear. And the audience they were writing to were Jews, and they would see a story where the people they expect to be in rebellion actually turn to God. And then the person who they expect to obey God is the one who's in rebellion. They say, man, how could that idolater receive mercy? But often it's us who've been Christians for a while who forget the value of grace, just how much we need it, just how radical and awesome it is. I think for Christians to battle self-righteousness is to remember that, hey, we used to be the sailors. Remember that fear of the Lord isn't just for non-believers, but also for those who have experienced his great love. And because we know our own sin, we're aware of our own sin, we should appreciate his grace even more. We were all idolatrous, but grace saved us. Grace is for us, but self-righteousness discredits grace. 
First, God graciously rescues Jonah by sending sailors to wake him up when he could have just let them die while Jonah was sleeping in the boat. And then he gets thrown into the water, and God could have let Jonah drown, but instead he sent a big fish to come and swallow him. And then Jonah responds while in the belly of this fish with a prayer that we heard earlier. And it sounds like a good prayer until you realize that he mentions himself 17 times in 10 verses. (laughs) And he discredits grace by pointing out all the things that he did to warrant being rescued. And it kind of sounds like you're sitting down with the old police officer and he's telling you about like one of his old cop stories. And he's like, man, you should have seen it. They threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas. And then the current swept over me, right? All the breakers and, and the billows swept over me, right? And guess what I did? Guess what I did? I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you on your holy temple. Those who cherish worthy idols, mm-mm, they abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Because I know that's what you want, right? Jonah is the hero of the story. Jonah looks at all the good things he has done and has determined that he is faithful. He never mentions his own sin. He doesn't ask for forgiveness. He doesn't repent. Because heroes don't need grace. The word for us is that God uses us not because we are great, He rescues us not because of what we do, not because we are heroes, but he uses the weak so that by grace he can show that he is the true hero. But discrediting grace distorts how we view ourselves as well as others. Verse 8 in the ESV, it reads, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And he's talking about I believe the sailors here, these people who are worshiping those idols, they forsake their hope of steadfast love. They have no chance at grace. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you a voice of thanksgiving. But that's not what God desires. If we remember just from last week in 1 Samuel 15, we read that does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Jonah, look, to obey is better than sacrifice, not fleeing to the opposite side of where I told you to go. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like divination and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Jonah is the idolater. I wonder how many times we point out the sin in others when we commit those same sins ourselves. None of us can hold claim to be morally superior to anyone else without discrediting grace along the way. Yeah, it is okay to point out sin as long as we do it with the objective of the building up instead of tearing down. If self-righteousness discredits grace, how will grace win in the end? 
So Jonah prays to God, and even the fish is sick of hearing his half-hearted prayer, and he vomits him onto dry land. Now, vomiting is just never good, full stop. Like, even in the Bible, vomiting is not good. And then he goes to Nineveh, he preaches an eight-word sermon, right? He's like, man, guess what? In 40 days, it's over for y'all. And he just keeps walking. That's it. But the people take that little message, and God just covers the rest with grace because they got all they needed to know. Somehow they knew it was the true God who was calling them to repent. Somehow they knew that if they had just turned from sin, they would receive his mercy. But Jonah wasn't happy with that outcome. Third point is this, self-righteousness withholds grace. At the end of chapter 3, verse 10, I read, God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, as one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life, because I don't want to live with a God that shows grace to people like them. The self-righteous heart withholds grace. It's a heart that says, I deserve and they don't. I am good and they are not. I deserve, but they are freeloaders. My people are better than your people. But the ministry of grace is unsafe, it's uncomfortable, unconventional, and sometimes it seems a little bit unfair. Jonah refuses the mission of God because he thought that God might save his enemies. And we might see this and say, man, this is an extreme example, right? Like, Jonah, how could you do that? Like, these are like real people over there, and you just wouldn't even go and you didn't want them to, to believe? How dare you? And like the self-righteousness is like building in our own hearts as we read it. But our self-righteousness appears in a very similar way. In Jonah's mind, it was good versus evil. He was good and they were evil. But the Bible says no one is good, not, not even one. Our culture is defined by self-righteousness. And withholding grace is heralded as the moral standard. And we call it cancel culture. And when Christians do it against other preachers, they just call them heretics. If someone differs from you in how they view social reform, how they view sexual ethics, how many genders exist, who they voted for, how much money they have or don't have. Society says that these people are your enemies. But we recognize, man, these people, anyone outside of Christ needs Jesus. And if we are antagonizing the very people who need Jesus, the people we're called to reach, then we're saying implicitly or explicitly, they don't deserve God or these people are beyond saving. Let us be 
careful with this choosing sides as Christians. A lot of times when you choose a side, you're withholding grace. If we just take a second and just scroll through our Instagrams and think about what do we retweet? What do we repost? If we are reposting something that we know is going to fire up the other side, are we ever going to have an opportunity to tell them about the grace of Jesus? I pray that the Lord is is breaking our hearts to see real people instead of just people we disagree with. And I think that's what, what God is stirring in the heart of Jonah. He's trying to say, man, I care about these people. They are people. They are souls. Don't let self-righteousness stifle the mission of God. If self-righteousness withholds grace, how will grace win in the end? And I have an answer. Grace is too big to fail. We think about those companies, right, that have so much money invested in them. You're like, man, they can't fail. It's too big. But grace was invested in by the blood of Jesus who became a sacrifice because he knew that we have no righteousness for us to stand on. And so he said, hey, I'm going to come down and be righteous for you. And I'm going to receive the reward for my righteousness. I'm going to receive eternal life. And guess what? I'm going to offer that to you. And if you just humble yourself, you recognize that, hey, you are not worthy. If you turn from your sin and come to me, I will give you this reward. I will look at you and say, righteous. Have faith in me. Trust in me. You cannot do this on your own. Grace is so good. The cure for self-righteousness is grace. And for us who struggle with self-righteousness, there is grace for us still to partake in the mission of God. You think about it, Jonah, our model of self-righteousness, God used him to take a whole nation to turn from their wicked ways. Grace pursued Jonah all the way to the bottom of the sea. And since we are broken just like him, it means that there's hope for us too. One way I like to see grace is by remembering my own failure. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm awakened to my human limitations a lot. And I know some of us are like that, man. You see your, your, your own sin and you're like, man, like, how can I do what God is calling me to do? And I'm saying, like, you can't. But that's what grace does. Grace reaches high when your hands fall short. The place that you are called to, whether it's in ministry or godliness, there's a gap between that place and the place that you can reach on your own. And and the, the, the distance between where you can reach and where God is calling you is all covered by grace. Grace reaches high when your hands fall short, but also we will fail. We will fail, we will fall, we will sin. 
but we can't outfall the depths of God's grace. We can't outfall the depths of God's grace. Grace is covering us in two ways. Is there anyone that can be so low that grace cannot stoop down to pick up? And maybe you are at a low point right now. I want you to know that God is reaching down to you, inviting you to come to him. There is grace for you. Self-righteousness is an enemy of grace, but grace is the cure for self-righteousness. There's one application I have today, and it's this. Amplify grace. Amplify grace. In your own life, we don't need to boast in ourselves and our own accomplishments, but if we boast in our weakness, then in our weakness, God is strong. He can be seen. His grace can be seen. But also in your relationships with people, amplify grace. Community will do you wrong. Your friends are going to fail you. Your family is going to hurt you. But as we withhold forgiveness, as we withhold forgiveness, what are we saying other than, man, they're not worthy enough for me to extend grace to them. But we know, hey, I'm broken too. I done hurt a few people in my life. What I need is grace. And so I'm going to extend that to them. And let God's grace be amplified and seen through your forgiveness. But also, let's amplify God's grace by letting it be seen in other people's lives. And we can do that by sharing the hope of the gospel. There's a city out here that needs Jesus. Let grace be seen by sharing that message of hope. We, we all, we are the only people who have what it takes to go and do what God has called us to do in this great commission. And that is his spirit. And so let us take that responsibility and go out and show grace by proclaiming what Jesus has done for us and them on a cross. The story of Jonah is fascinating. God used a rebellious prophet who abandoned grace, discredited grace, and withheld grace from his enemies. But family, imagine what would happen if we embraced grace in our lives, right? And we knew the power of God's grace. I think what would happen is that it would overflow out of us and spill into our community groups. And that would, that would overflow out of us. And then the love that we show one another would spill out into the streets. And people would see us, see this church, see Sojourn Midtown, and think, man, what is that beautiful quality about their community? I can't quite put my hand on it. And we say, man, this is grace. And it's for you too. Let us go. 
Let us show the glory of God to people who need to see. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.